Investing made easy and cool. So if you are 25 now and you have the goal of buying a house in cash, let's say that is your goal. I wouldn't recommend that, but if, if that is your goal, buy let's say 35 and you would need 500,000 Rand for that or a million Rand for that. Um, and you want to buy a property that you can fix up a bit and then it is worth a bit more. Your investment goal should be tailor-made for that. And these three, three principles, I think are good principles to follow, but they, should not be the be-all and end-all. You should do your own research and maybe incorporate some of these in your investment strategy. So the three principles that, that, that I live by is build a diverse portfolio, regular rebalancing of your portfolio, and invest in what you understand. Welcome to Easy Does It, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications, your cool guide to investing. Easy. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast, your cool guide to investing. My name is DJ At Large. <laughs> now, with everything happening in the world from high inflation to high interest rates, rising fuel prices, an erratic currency to a lack of electricity, outright war and a slowing economy, how can you protect your wealth? during tough times such as a recession are commodities such as gold and silver a guaranteed safe bet or perhaps you should be investing in property i've invited ludwig van veik to help us uh, you know better protect our wealth where should we be putting our money during a recession or a time of crisis he is a young and energetic director and chief investment officer at Telos Wealth Capital, a Johannesburg-based quantitative hedge fund that creates generational wealth for its clients. And he's also very passionate about financial education. Ludwig, welcome to the Easy Does It podcast, brother. Thank you very much for having me, Tobo. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and thank you for the opportunity. Oh man, we are so excited to have you. Now, before we get into the conversation, I've got a random money question for you. If you could have a sneak peek into somebody else's investment portfolio, who would it be and why? That is quite a quite a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I think in this uh, age that we live, we've got access to so many so many fantastic entrepreneurs and fantastic business people, and specifically people with a proven track record. I think a person that that I look look up to very much uh, is uh, Patrick Bed David. He's the founder of uh, PHP Agencies in in the US. And he recently sold his, his company, insurance company, for over $300 million. So, you know, very, very proven, you know, businessman. Um, and what makes him very different is he came from Iran in a, in, in a war-torn country. And he went to the U.S. and had the, the proper American dream story. And worked himself to the bone to ensure that, you know, he, he creates something for his family. And um, I would love to see his, his, his investment portfolio because I know he believes in entrepreneurs above else. So he mentioned in a, in a few like episodes and interviews that, you know, he's, he's got his, his, his money with his wealth managers, which is great. And that's probably someone like a Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan Chase or some, something like that. But I would love to see where he puts his, his, his other money because I know he's very like interested in putting money with new young entrepreneurs that that can create businesses um i think he's definitely one and some someone like a, a gary v i think people are always interested to know how much money he actually has 
and where's that and, money and, and where where's that where's that money <laughs> sitting because i mean he, he obviously made a lot of money in the dot-com boom because he was positioned like perfectly and he actually understood all of the tech which is very very interesting um but one thing that i would like to know about him is he's he's very much into crypto and nft and those things and if you look over the last four months those things aren't doing too well so i would love to know what what that side of his portfolio looks like because i think that would be interesting to see if the hype train almost because of of nfts is actually worth it and where's the bulk of his money because i'm very very sure it's still in traditional investments ah that would be an interesting one i want to get into your money story right um where does your passion for wanting to educate people about personal finances come from so I've, I've got a very very interesting childhood um a very come come from a, a very good family and you know they gave me every opportunity possible but it's it's a tale of of two sides so uh, on, on my one parent's side there's from their parents there's comfortability and there's um you know a bit of wealth and they were able to retire very comfortably um and go on lots of trips and have a very comfortable life um, on the other side uh, it was quite uncomfortable um, and they weren't able to retire um, comfortably and they and they weren't able to do the things that they would able to enjoy and they had to rely on their children and grandchildren to you know help them you know make make ends meet um, and I think growing up in the environment where you see two sets of grandparents live very differently um, you start to question why and how did they get to these extremes um and um you know that makes you question and, and go and research a bit how does one get to that point is it because of a, a, a lack of opportunity uh, is it because of a lack of education um how did they spend their money for 40 years before they retired where did they invest their money what did they do to get to that point um and i think that intrigue led me to start just reading and you know diving into financial knowledge and education and the financial markets um, and through that i decided that uh, not not only with the hedge fund but with the education company i would like to educate a few more people to try and see if you can at least be in the middle um, you know we would we would all love to be very wealthy the reality is um, there's a difference between comfortable and wealthy there's even a difference between comfortable rich and wealthy um, and then you've got the ultra ultra wealthy but i think a lot of people are just in the grind they they live paycheck to paycheck so i thought you know how can i help people get five percent better from from paycheck to paycheck and once you get five percent better with your money how can you then get ten percent better with your money um, so I think that's a, that's a very interesting thing. But because I've seen the real life yeah. differences, I've always had a like thirst to know how much people make. And I think sometimes to the irritation of a lot of people because, <laughs> you know, people can sit across from me at a dinner and because I know most people's salaries, I can almost identify, let's say you're an engineer and you're a second year engineer out of, out of university. I can almost calculate how much you make and then because I sit across from you at dinner, I can now ask you a few questions. And when we walk out based on your car, I can go, um, I think he's being smart with his money. I think he's not being smart with his money and based on the stories. Um, so I think like a thirst for, for financial knowledge has just been there from the start. And within this childhood, um, in terms of your parents, is money openly discussed? 
I wouldn't say money is openly discussed, but business was definitely openly ah. discussed. So um, my dad has a doctoral degree um, in, in a business field and he he's always been reading, 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 reading so many books and business books specifically. And he's always, you know, passed those books down to me and, and had conversations with me about business. And we as a family sat and watched things like Dragon's Den, like The Apprentice, Shark Tank, those types of, of, of shows. And we would often discuss, you know, what we think was a decent idea. And oftentimes, you know, as you are as a, as a kid, you're not as knowledgeable. So you think, okay, well, the dragon sitting there is obviously wealthy. So he's, his opinion is perfect above all else. That's not true. So we were definitely open about business. And again, I would say we, we had discussions about money, but probably not to, to the extent that, that, that I would have loved. But I think they had a bit more of a money is a personal thing type of a, uh, attitude towards money. And I definitely had a lot more conversations about money. And now I think it's a bit more openly discussed in, in, in our family. But because business was always discussed, we always discussed other people's money. And so naturally, uh, that conversation starts to happen. 100%. That makes sense. I'm very curious to know, Ludwig, uh, how would you describe the work or the role of a hedge fund manager to the ordinary person? We spoke a little bit about your business at the beginning. But what on earth is a hedge fund manager? What do they do? It is an interesting question because you've got so many different types of, of hedge funds. Um, so I would say number one is a hedge fund manager tries to make decisions on placing investments on behalf of the clients, okay. you know, using various investment strategies. But these are like quite wealthy clients. It's not like the average person. Yes, that is that is correct. So our client base is would be considered qualified individuals, so qualified in, in investors. So you get four types of investors and they would they would fall into the qualified in, I see. investors uh, I see. bracket. So first of all, capital protection is is above all else because once you've been able to get into a position where you now have money, you really don't want to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> so what we do is we create investment strategies for our clients and we help them further the amount of money that they've already you know, been, been able to gather through their life. So, you know, we perform constant market research and trend analysis, and we use software programs to analyze investment metrics to come up with superior in investment decisions. So we would look to outperform money market funds, um, such as what you would get at a bank or at a normal investment house. So we we have to deliver superior returns for, for our clients because the reality is if someone invests 5 million or 10 million with you, they, first of all, they've entrusted you with their money. So you've got a, a, a fiduciary responsibility to ensure that you protect that, that capital, but also ensure that you keep their business by creating constant returns and realistic returns. I think I've sat across from so many people, wealthy individuals that, that tell me, okay, well, you know, what, what percentage can you, can you give me? And I show our past performance, but I can't guarantee you you know, future performance. And that is the reality with all investment managers. No one can guarantee, you know, future investment results. Um, and I think if you are open and honest with your clients, they can be have a realistic view and you can create generational wealth for them. So once your client is already wealthy, they've already got an investment plan, most likely 
you know so they've already got a financial advisor they've got a financial planner and then they are looking they've got their pension they've got their normal investment and then they've got a, a bit of extra money that they are looking to either put into a new business but the reality is lots of them already have businesses and they want to you know devote all of their time towards that business and people think people often think if you let's say have a million rand lying around and you're already making money in another business if you invest in another business you can be hands off that's not the reality if you invest a million rand somewhere you're going to be actively you know busy with that business because you want to ensure that that business has a potential of working now instead of investing in a business or property people often think property is a passive income it's really not property is actually quite a bit of work unless you employ someone to manage that property on your behalf so we then create an opportunity for for people to invest money with us and ensure that we you know generate higher returns than than what you would get in a pension or a actively managed portfolio yeah that definitely makes sense you know we, we've discussed what you do on on the daily which is growing people's money ensuring that you know they experience wealth but also protecting the existing money that they have but let's bring it back to the ordinary investor like myself a retail investor somebody that's new in the space of, of creating their own wealth what would you say are the three investment principles that you live by and that we should consider following through with them i think first of all um, your investment principles should be tailor-made for your investment goal uh-huh. so if you are 25 now and you have the goal of buying a house in cash let's say that is your goal i wouldn't recommend that but if, if, if that is your goal buy let's say 35 and you would need 500,000 rand for that or a million rand for that um, and you want to buy a property that you can fix up a bit and then it is worth a bit more your investment goal should be tailor-made for that and these three three principles i think are good principles to follow but they should not be the be-all and end-all you should do your own research and maybe incorporate some of these in your investment strategy so um, the three principles that, that that i live by is build a diverse portfolio regular rebalancing of your portfolio and invest in what you understand um, so I'll elaborate on, on, on all of them, but I think building a diverse portfolio is a no-brainer. It just protects you um, and should always be priority number one. Regularly rebalancing that portfolio is very important because sometimes people get trapped in investments. Let's say you are uh, someone that absolutely loves Elon Musk and you, you think Tesla is the best, best company in the world. It's a fantastic company, but if you bought in too high, the reality is that you are going to be in a loss and riding that that loss forever and ever because you think this guy is fantastic and it's going to go up again it's probably going to go up again that's the reality of the of the market but knowing when to cut your losses and rebalancing your, your portfolio is the number one thing that you should you know um always have in mind because no company's perfect no ceo and things change things, and things change, change. Yeah. that is the that is the, the the reality if you look at the s p 500 of uh, the 1970s there's only a handful of those companies that are still in business and i mean you you're talking about the 500 biggest companies which means 
40, 50 years later, only a handful of them are still in business. So if you are a ride or die investor on a specific company, that might not be the best strategy. That makes so much sense, yeah. And then invest in, in what you understand. So I, I feel if you have knowledge about an industry and a company, you should use that to your ad- advantage. Over time, you should use your resources and you know explore and learn more about industries before you invest in them. So if you buy into an index fund or an actively managed fund, those people are then trusted with your money to you know invest it for you if you are a retail investor and you are wanting to invest your money yourself and not pay management fees then stick to what you know if you are someone that does a lot of research on tech companies let's say then invest in tech companies but obviously still have a diverse portfolio but if you are very very knowledgeable about tech then have let's say a 25 percent allocation towards tech um and i i think something that i that i learned from one of my very very wealthy clients i struggled for a very long time to convince him to invest with us and the reason was because he made so much money out of mining and out of farming so for him he saw some patch of land in far out next to next to let's say the the border and he saw that as an investment opportunity because he saw that he can double his money in two years he couldn't understand why he should invest with us i see because that's all he knows that's, that's all, he, all understands, he knows he's unable to diversify and to see other opportunities also he's made so much money in those spaces that he sort of at that point he doesn't want to l- listen or learn anymore <laughs> but i think you can you are never too old or too wealthy to not listen and learn and i think that point should be very very much emphasized because if you look at something like a Steinoff and you look at someone like Christo Visa, I don't know if you if you watch the, the documentary Steinice, I mean, he's obviously a very smart individual and no one can ever take away from him what he's accomplished. The reality is 20 analysts told him it was great. One analyst told him it wasn't. So you're most probably going to listen to the to the 20. That makes sense. Okay. But what he said at the at the end of that documentary is he should have done more work himself. So if you are so not... even a billionaire still needs to learn. 100%. You can never not educate yourself. And education is the one thing that people can't take away from you. Okay. So they can take everything away from you. But... If you are educated, no one can ever take that away from you. If you educate yourself about a specific space, focus on that and make sure that you are good in that. If you are uh, an engineer at an engineering company in South Africa and they are listed on the stock exchange, that is not a bad company to invest in because you are there working every day. You can see if the thing is working. If you are someone that likes, I don't know, tech, invest in that. Don't go and invest in stuff that you don't understand. First take the time to learn and then invest and just because you've spent an hour on the, or a day on a specific company or topic doesn't mean you know what <laughs> <laughs> what's what, what you know what's going on there and i think you should speak to a few you know investment managers you should listen to podcasts those types of things to just further your you're broadening your knowledge yes 100 yeah. Yeah. yeah so of course this episode is all about how to protect your wealth during a recession or you know a, a time of, of of crisis and i want us to get into that ludwig first and foremost what is a recession and how could it impact on an investor's portfolio of wealth 
Okay, so what is a recession is an interesting question because according to the Fed, mm -hmm. the definition has changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I recently, I was like, the definition is a little bit different to the way people speak about it. Yes, yeah. so I mean, the proper definition is a recession is, is a significant decline in economic activity and a fall of uh, GDP for two consecutive quarters. That is the textbook definition of a recession. But now, because the Fed doesn't want to acknowledge that we are technically in a recession, they've now altered the, the, the <laughs> definition. So in a, in a recession, you should realize that um, there will be rising levels of unemployment, which, which, which we are experiencing, a fall in retail sales, which we are experiencing. Uh, people will start spending on their credit card a bit more and using credit a bit more. You recently saw in the US, there's a 40% increase in credit card usage. And I'm not talking about using your credit card and paying it off every month, which is a fantastic way to build your credit score. I'm talking about people carrying a balance. So, you know, a recession is unavoidable. It's it's part of the business cycle. Uh, but we've been, we've seen so much printing of money through throughout the, the last two years. And I wrote down a few things that I think um, could be the cause of a, of, of a recession. So uh, a sudden economic shock, uh, such as a war or uh, a pandemic, which yeah. we experienced, uh, excessive debt, there was so much money printed in the US, $5.2 trillion printed throughout the last two years using a method called quantitative easing, where you increase the money supply, and then high inflation. And those three three things together create a recession. What we're currently doing at the moment. <laughs> yes. And I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, the US is always six to eight months ahead of us with economic waves. You've already seen a 20% uh, decrease in people applying for mortgages. You've already seen people swapping out their ex, uh, expensive fancy car for a much cheaper version. Because the reality is that in a recession, high unemployment, as I said, um, jobs will definitely not bring in as much. People um, won't be won't be able to, you know, pay as much as they would have been Some been able to. Might be even retrenched as well. One hundred percent. And what what I think people don't understand is if if, if you, for instance, bought a house at a seven percent interest rate. At 10% now, let's just do the math about how much that's going to cost you extra every month. So let's say it's an extra 2,000 Rand a month. Have you got the ability to afford that extra 2,000 Rand a month? Reality is a lot of people don't. So then you're going to start living on your credit card a bit more. You're going to start paying a bit more on your, uh, start, start living out of loans a bit more. And that is quite a shocking place to be because a lot of people are very excited. They got a bit of money out of COVID. Um, they recently graduated. Now they want to buy a house or they got a new job. They want to buy a house. They want to buy a car. But now the, the interest rates two days ago were uh, announced they going to move it up by 0.75% again, which means now the lending rate's over 10% again. That's a that's a massive difference. Yeah. That is a very, very big difference. I've recently uh, bought a car. I bought it when the in interest rate was at 8%. Luckily, I got a fixed rate. But if I had a variable rate, mm. that would have now, my car payment would have been an extra 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 rand a month. I, you know, I'm not exactly quite sure about the math, but let's just, let's just use that as an example. And what people don't understand is in, in a recession, things aren't normal. 
things aren't okay and there are a lot of people losing their job yeah so so ludwig if, if i'm hearing you right the impact for us normal investors you know on our, on our portfolios and, and how much money we have is debt becomes a little bit more expensive you know there's reduced income you might lose your job or your business is not doing so well during that period and then the last thing is this higher inflation so your buying power becomes a little bit less so your thousand rand now is not going to give you as many goods as would have given you a couple of months ago would you would you summarize that as being the big impact on on us investors most definitely oh most, man most definitely. It, it, it looks like we're in tough times that was a fantastic summarization. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you for, for making it so simple. I, you know, sometimes investment professionals tend to complicate things. They make it really, really complicated. And you've just broken it down into a really simple way of summarizing what a recession is. And most importantly, what is the impact you know, on an investor's portfolio? And of course, in part two, we're going to talk a bit about bear and bull markets and what other things should you be doing to protect your wealth uh, and then we'll talk a bit about commodities we keep hearing that when things are tough you go to gold and silver and all these other things is it true isn't it true we're hanging out with a man that knows everything about investing he grows uh, some of his clients as well his name is ludwig van veik and that's how we wrap up part one of our conversation and part two we talk more about everything recession wise thank you for pressing play on the easy desert podcast a big shout out to you for hanging out with us don't forget to subscribe we are on spotify and apple podcasts let us know what you think of this episode on twitter and insta our handle is at easy equities